Um, we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. My name's John Carroll. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Hope Covenant. Very excited for you to be here today. Uh, we are continuing uh, our journey through the season of Lent as we make our way towards Easter. And one of the dangers of Lent is that sometimes as Christ followers, we are so familiar with it that we become somewhat indifferent. And if we really understood the intense meaning of what we believe during this season, our response should look like an incredulous, what? Like holding the top of our heads because we think it's going to explode, shaking our head in utter disbelief because we... um, because we just can't believe what's going on in this season. Our, our tears welling up in our eyes because of the absurdity of it all. Laughing in the sheer absurdity of, of this joy. That God, out of his amazing grace and abounding love, reconciled the world to him through the cross. Uh, to make a way for us to participate in eternal living with a resurrected life that begins right now. Uh, We're in the last couple weeks of our series, I Don't Know What I Believe. It's this idea that uh, even if you don't know what you believe exactly about the Christian faith, you can still believe in the God who has invited you, called you, into a lifelong journey with him. Amber and I have been uh, exploring things like salvation, sanctification, suffering, and sovereignty. Well, today, we're going to take a look at sound teaching. Yes, that was intentional, a lot of S's. Uh, that we've been studying. And so in this passage uh, that we've been looking at, Paul tells his apprentice Timothy this. He says, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So Paul's passing along his wisdom to, and his teachings to Timothy. Well, where did Paul get his wisdom from? From the greatest teacher to ever live. A guy by the name of Yaroslav Pelikan, an American author and teacher at Yale University, once said this. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of Jesus' name, how much would be left? What we're going to look at today is this aspect of Jesus as teacher. Because Pelican goes on to say that for each age, it is the... Life and teaching of Jesus that represents the answer to the most fundamental questions of human existence and human destiny. We're going to look at the impact of Jesus as our teacher and consider what it would be like not only to accept him as our Lord and Savior, but what would it mean in our lives to acknowledge him as our master teacher. Without question, Jesus is the most influential teacher in the history of humankind. The Bible continues to be at the top of the bestseller list year after year. And there have been more books written and sold about the teachings of Jesus um, than any other category of book. Why? Because this teacher set himself apart by talking about a way of life that's possible. And his extraordinary vision of God that took people's breath away. And perhaps one of the most important jobs of the church is to pursue this relentless focus on the teachings of Jesus. That we can trust what he says about God and about sin. And what we need to do with our money. And how do we relate to one another? And what does it mean to suffer? How is that redeemed by God? What's true of our hearts? 
And what would it be like as a church, both individually and collectively, if we began to read and live as though the teachings of Jesus were truly from the mouth of God? Now, teachers are really special people, and we have a lot of teachers that belong to this church. So teachers are really special people, and I'm sure most of you can remember the impact of a particular teacher that they had in your life. So go ahead and turn to the person next to you and tell them who that teacher is for you and why. Just take 15 seconds to do that. Who is that teacher and why? All right, let's come back together. So just being able to tell someone the name and why that teacher made such an impact on you is a reminder that you carry with you the imprint of that person. For me, it was my 11th and 12th grade math teacher, Mr. Clark. I had him for Algebra 2 my junior year and trigonometry my senior year. And he had this remarkable passion for math, something that I definitely don't share. And it was his mission to help students grasp the concepts and succeed in the classroom. And this is how committed Mr. Clark was to his mission. I would come in every morning, Monday through Friday, and get help with my math homework. I'd walk into his classroom at 7 o'clock in the morning, and we'd go over just math problems for 30 minutes until the first bell rang at 7.30. He never complained. He always smiled. I'll forever be grateful for that. And the truth about great teaching is that it is almost always a form of love. Many of you are familiar with the story of Helen Keller and her remarkable teacher, Ann Sullivan, who, with a great passion and intensity, pursued this blind, deaf, and mute student of hers and worked with her to help her understand that the signs she made with her fingers meant words and that her words had meaning. And that incredible climatic moment in Helen Keller's life, where at the water pump, the light dawned in her mind, and she began to put it together, and a whole new world was opened up to her. Jesus understood that great teaching is a form of love. In Mark chapter 6, one of the disciples records this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The reason he did this was so that they could depart from that place, go home, and understand God in new and fresh ways that transformed their lives. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, and we continue to feel the ripple effects of his teachings. So what does it mean to believe that Jesus is our teacher. Jesus stepped into the role of a rabbi, a word that is used of Jesus over 50 times in the New Testament, into a nation of Israel who long ago had given up the dream of a national expression of their country as a way of expressing the sovereignty of God. And they had prophets and priests. 
in the time between the Old and New Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew, the synagogue as the center of learning emerged and rabbis would teach people how to follow God with their everyday ordinary lives. And the office of rabbi in Jesus' day was, a, was as prestigious and revered as a CEO of a large company is in our day. Jesus stepped into this legacy of learning in the Jewish culture that considered learning to be both knowing and doing. There was no separation between the two. Teaching in that day implied applying what you learned in concrete ways. Study was considered a form of worship. It wasn't just satisfying intellectual curiosity. And the teaching of rabbis, and Jesus in particular, closed the gap between secular and the spiritual and wove them together as one life. And Jesus described a wise person as someone who both heard teaching and put it into action. And into this role of rabbi, Jesus stepped, and he did something that all rabbis did. He taught with questions. Because questions have a way of beginning to work on the inside and then working their way out. There was a great rabbi who taught just before Jesus came onto the scene. It was recorded that one of his students asked him, Rabbi, why do you always teach with questions? To which he replied, hey, so what's wrong with a question? I don't know, it just kind of sounded funny in my mind. I read that in the book and I'm like... Sounds like that would be something that somebody from New York would say. Like, hey, what's so wrong with the... All right. (laughs) Moving on. So you'll see over and over again, when people came to Jesus for answers, he often turned the question back on them so that the learning would go deep and start working on the inside. Also, like all of the great rabbis, Jesus taught in stories and in parables. He compared the kingdom of God with the moments of normal life. Why? So when they left his proximity and they went home, all of the ordinary things of their day had the potential to teach him something great about their great God. They didn't have to go to the synagogue or the temple and then wait a week in order to learn. Through stories, he showed them concrete ways of what God was really like. But then there was an interesting point in which Jesus, as a rabbi, began to veer away from the traditions of other rabbis. And he began to teach in a remarkable way that moved between affirming tradition and interjecting innovation. And he did it in many places. In Luke chapter 15, at the end of the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus says to the elder son, you have always been with me. An affirmation to all of Israel that God has always had a special relationship with them. But then he says to the elder son, but now is the time to bring the younger brother into the fold. The Gentiles and the sinners, the people who have been considered outcasts, they're now included. Over and over again, Jesus would affirm the traditions of Moses and then say, but I say to you, and then come up with an innovative twist. So Jesus was very skilled at erasing the gap between traditional rabbis and himself by going in between traditional and innovative ways of thinking about God. And then Jesus took even more steps that differentiated himself from the other rabbis. The first way had to do with his education. You see, Jesus wasn't even 
an educated rabbi. Although in Luke 2, it says that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. In the truest sense of the word, Jesus wasn't an actual rabbi. He studied the scriptures as a young boy, but he wasn't invited to apprentice a rabbi. And so therefore, he went back into the family business and became a carpenter. Then in the last three and a half years of his life, he began to teach in a way that astounded people. Because it says in John 7, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And then Jesus replies, my teachings are not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus was not only apart from the regular rabbis in his lack of formal training and profound teaching, but also in that he spoke with the kind of authority that other rabbis did not have. He uses the phrase, truly I tell you, 75 times. This was not the regular language of rabbis. It was an affirmation of the fact that what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. In Matthew 7, it says that when he finished his teaching, the crowds were amazed because he taught with such authority. Because he was apart from the rabbis and, the, and he was teaching something new, something different, something true about God. What's staggering about Jesus' teaching is that without using any clever marketing or Facebook pages or Google ads, Jesus was teaching to cr the crowds that were a standing room only. Why? Because the people knew, the people who grew up in the traditional model and learned about God from the rabbis were hearing something completely different from the mouth of a carpenter who is now a rabbi. Matthew 4 says, news about him spread all over Syria. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And in Mark 3, we see that Jesus told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. And there was a growing awareness of people in, in his day that he wasn't just a rabbi or a prophet, but that he was the Messiah. One time Jesus was with some men, and these guys wanted to know where Jesus was staying because they wanted to spend just one day together. And as a result of that day, Andrew went to find his brother Simon Peter and tell him, not that we found a very great rabbi, but that we found the Messiah. When Jesus taught, people were astounded by the things that he said. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. You know, Israel and the surrounding area in the Middle East has a lot of desert, so there's a lot of sand and a lot of dust there. Well, there was a saying back in that day, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you be such a close follower of your teacher that the dust that he kicks up while walking around town ends up covering all of you. To be a committed apprentice meant that you were frequently covered in your rabbi's dust. That's actually where we got the phrase, eat my dust. Actually, that's not true either. But you get the point. 
I think this is a wonderful way for us to understand how to take seriously accepting Jesus as our teacher. So for the time that we have remaining, I'd like to walk through a couple teachings of Jesus that if we were to remove them from our world, we would be so much the poorer. The first is the way that he came. Because here's the truth about great teachers. They don't just teach with words. They teach with actions. I was um, on a run uh, the other morning, and uh, I listened to this app. It's called Pray As You Go. Um, It's done by uh, the Jesuit uh, priest over in England. They do a really good job with it. And the scripture passage for that particular day uh, was connected to uh, something that we often hear during Christmas time, where Mary is visited by the angel and she's delivered the news that she's about to have a very special baby. Well, and before Jesus could even speak, God was doing something by slipping this baby into history and teaching us about something special about God. God inserted himself into human history in an almost quiet, humble, and obscure way, lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths, just like you would any other ordinary, poor little child. This king of the universe came asking for no special privilege, and in a very And in the very way that he came, he was teaching us something about God. Um, His disciple John picked up on this as he began to follow him around and said this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that word dwelling is the same word used in the Old Testament as the word tabernacle. And what the life and teachings of Jesus show us is that while this, well, uh, what started as an intimate relationship between people and God in the garden got lost and separated because of sin. And it found its expression in the tabernacle and temple where you could go to visit God every week. But even God was represented in a special room that only uh, certain people were allowed to enter. That in the nature of Jesus, God is reminding us That God is not distant and unavailable, but that he is personal and accessible. Also, more powerful than simply the words Jesus taught with were the people he chose to share those words with. Jesus specifically went to people who were shunned and ostracized, ignored and marginalized. Scripture tells us that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among people. Jesus taught a man with leprosy, the most contagious and feared disease of that day. Jesus spent time and taught tax collectors who were considered outcasts in the Jewish culture. When people brought children to Jesus, the disciples rebuked them, and Jesus was indignant at their rebuke. Today, it's hard for us who hold children in high regard to conceive of a time when children would be viewed as unimportant and unworthy. One time when the disciples came back from lunch, they saw Jesus talking to a woman, someone who would have been considered to be at a lower level. See, Jesus moved toward people and summed up how he felt about that by saying this, truly I tell you, and there's that phrase again, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done for me. 
I have a friend named Shane Claiborne. Maybe you know him. Um, Shane writes books and travels around the country speaking to people about the teachings of Jesus. There's a picture of me and Shane together from last year. And he said that after studying the Gospels, what was so startling to him was that Jesus talked more about serving the poor than prayer and what it means to be born again combined. And we are never more like God when we move towards people who the world wants to ostracize or who the church wants to keep out. And I don't know who it is in your list, but my guess is it's not a leper, it's not a tax collector, it's not kids or it's not women, but there's a fill in the blank for every one of us. There are groups of people, types of people, people who make certain choices that we want to keep on the outside. And Jesus' teaching was such a radical inclusion. And if we took that out of the world, we would be a separate kind of people to the harm of everyone else. You know, when I was in seminary, I used to officiate weddings for a company called Sensational Ceremonies. Kind of cheesy, but that's the name of the company. I didn't make it up, so don't laugh at me. Um, It was kind of my side hustle while I was getting my master's degree. And I remember doing a wedding for a couple in downtown Orlando. And if you've ever been to a big city, which I'm sure almost all of you have, uh, you know that parking can be a bit of a a challenge. And so I had to park in this space that was a couple blocks away from the venue, and it was right underneath the Interstate 4 overpass. And as I locked up my car, a homeless woman approached me asking if I had any money to spare. She was in her 50s, African-American, Her clothes were in shambles. She said her family disowned her and was struggling to survive. The truth is, I wasn't carrying cash that day. It's kind of the fault of the debit card. You know, you don't have to carry cash anymore. After I told her that, I offered to pray for her. And she hesitated, but then agreed. So we closed our eyes, bowed our heads, and I prayed that God would help her reconnect with her family and that she would receive what she needed in order to survive. After we said amen, I turned the tables. It was kind of my version of the innovative twist of Jesus. And I asked her if she would pray for me. She stood there speechless. I'm not worthy to pray for you, and I don't know what to pray for even if I did, she said. I assured her of her worth, and I invited her to pray for whatever came into her heart. While holding hands underneath that overpass on I-4, She cried as she came before God and prayed for me. And it bears repeating. We are never more like God when we move towards people who the world wants to ostracize. Jesus does some of his most profound teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. That it's not far off in the distance. It's not just up in heaven or somewhere up in the sky. But the surprising news is that it's not just available now, okay, but that it's inside you and it's all around you. And you don't have to wait until Sunday to be in a room like this, but all throughout your day, God has planted things in this world to remind you about what the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus teaches about very ordinary things. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. And even though it's very, very small, when it's, a, when it's planted and allowed to grow, it forms this immense bush that birds can nest and seek refuge in. 
And I can guarantee you that the people Jesus spoke to, when they left him, saw seeds in the course of their everyday ordinary lives. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And for you bakers out there, you know that when you take a tiny amount of yeast and you knead it into a huge amount of dough, it's the yeast that does the work to make the dough rise. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. It's like a pearl that you would be willing to sell everything for. The kingdom of heaven is like salt on a piece of meat that really needs it. It's like light when you're stumbling in the darkness. And just in case they didn't get it, Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount so that when they left him on the way home, if they saw birds or if they saw flowers, they could continue learning about this concept of enlarging this vision of God. Because Jesus said things like, look at the birds of the air and look at the magnificent flowers of the field. And they don't worry about being taken care of. So learn about God when you see them. In ancient Israel, there were vines everywhere. And Jesus says, I am the vine, not you. You are the branches. All of you, all you have to do is abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And in his teachings, Jesus is reminding us that we can find the kingdom of God in the grandeur and the ordinariness of life. And then finally, Jesus taught us what it means to be alone. Here's the truth. I think community is one of the most uh, remarkable aspects of Scripture. This ability of like-minded people to come together and to help each other and to learn to grow together and to be healed and to serve. And somebody to be with you and share your great joys, but also somebody who can show up in those moments that terrify us. When life is not working out and there's pain and suffering. But at the end of the day, community always goes home to sleep in their own bed. And there are times when you are so utterly alone that if you do not know what it means to be alone deeply with God, you will be lost. And Jesus tells us in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth. It is good for you that I go away. And you all who have been following me so closely that you were covered in my dust, are going to go away from me and leave me alone. But I'm not alone. My Father is always with me. What does it mean to follow the teachings of Jesus so long and so deep for your whole life that as you grow older, you have moments of peace beyond understanding because you know what it means to be alone with God and that you're okay. To know that God is with you and that you live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The main truth about Jesus' teaching, and we barely scratch the surface today, is that Jesus teaches us that God intrudes on our lives when we least expect it. And that he surprises us about who he is by being close and near. And that sometimes it is really in the most ordinary ways in which we learn the most profound things about God. So as you go about your everyday ordinary lives, think about that. Look for that. Pray about that. And ask Jesus to continue to be your teacher. Let's pray. God, we thank you for 
making a way to know you and to learn from you. That Jesus, as our master teacher, would invite us to apprentice him, to be covered in his dust, and to show us how to learn and to live and to love. We ask as you open our we ask that you open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to what you have to teach us so that we can be transformed from the inside out. And we pray all of these things in the name of our master instructor for life and beyond. Amen. So as we've been doing throughout the season of Easter, called Lent, we're taking a few minutes after each sermon to just sit and let that process in your heart and in your head, and you should have a half sheet of paper reflection, um, and you can use this time to just journal and or to answer. There's some prompting questions on there you can uh, use to write uh, and answer those questions, but we want to allow a space where there's nobody telling you anything except listening to the Holy Spirit and what is he saying. So as you process what you heard today and what you've experienced and even what you're going through in life, use the next few minutes to spend doing some heart business with God and be honest with him and write down if you want to the things that you're feeling um, as a way to reflect. So take a few minutes now um, just in reflection with the Lord.